Allah, let us all try our best to come close together. Sisters, we're here as well. If we can, in our sisters' hall, try our best to sit together and ensure that there's not too many gaps. The Rahmah of Allah Azza wa Jal is waiting for us to envelop us and let us show our desire through this Rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the beauty of, of the gathering here. Alhamdulillah, every time we encourage people to come together, <clears throat> because of the continuous reminders, mashallah, everyone always does so. And uh, they um, uh, are, inshallah, going to be rewarded handsomely for this, for their efforts in trying to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim Rabbi shahli sadri wa yassir li amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli Subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'alamtana Subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'alamtana Allahumma alimna ma yinfa'una wa anfa'na bi ma'alamtana wa zidna ilman wa amala Allahumma nawwir qulubna bi ilmi wa sta'amil abdanana li ta'atik wa wafiqna lima tuhibu wa tarda min al-qawli wal-amali wal-niyati wal-huda innaka ala kulli shayin qadir Amin ya Rabbil Alameen as always, let us renew our niyyah that we're here to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're here to get close to Allah azza wa jal. We're here to hopefully build a relationship with Allah jalla jalaluhu. And based on the sincerity of our niyyah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us more than we can expect, more than we can imagine. And so let us all have great hopes with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, uh, let us all make this niyyah that Ya Allah through the dars of Quran that we are doing right now, allow me to hear that which I need to hear in my life. Allow the dars to run in a way that it will answer some of my questions, remove some of my doubts, and uh, rejuvenate my faith. And it is catered to my own needs. All those who are listening online also, and wherever we are listening from, if we make this niyyah, inshallah, we will see great benefits of this. So I'm going to, all, uh, I appreciate and I make dua for Allah Azza wa accept Malana Sahil and Malana Junaid who, who covered three weeks uh, in our absence and then we had an Eid break and things of that sort. So although Monana um, did cover a portion of, of Surah Taha, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go quickly over some of the ayats, starting off from where I left off. And uh, uh, mashallah, we covered some aspects of, of Fadail and the virtues of Eid and uh, 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 the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. So those were some of the fiqhi topics that were covered <coughs> also on Tuesdays. The last ayat was actually 55 where we had left off and inshallah we'll see if we can go through quickly go through some of these verses again uh, inshallah and this is uh, the very famous verse where a person recites this when a person is uh, uh, as you all know when we are burying our dead and um, it is a reminder this ayah is a very powerful reminder that we, the reality of everything is the ground, the earth. We've come from the earth. We, we will go back into the earth and we will come back once again from the earth. It's interesting because it, it reminds us to remain humble. Um, we are all, you know, Ibn Turab. We're all the, the son of the, of the soil. No matter how lofty we become, how ta'al, how high, how powerful, how wealthy, and how well connected we be become, but our haqiqah and reality will always be the same, that we've come from the ground. Additionally, this reminds us of the fact that all of us came from the ground. Hence, in that sense, we're all equal in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no difference. All of us have the same elements. And so, now since we came from there, it's only natural that we be put back into the same ground. Now this one is the obvious that we came from the ground, we're going back into the ground. True. But it also reminds us of the narration that 
a person will be buried from the, in the soil where he was created from. So the soil that was used to create him, that's exactly where we're going to go back. We don't know right now which soil has been used in our creation. But we will definitely find out the day we are buried that this is where we came from. So that's why you've, so, you've seen that the prophets are also are in, uh, uh, very clearly mentioned that they should be buried exactly where they were, where they passed away. And it is a sunnah also to be buried in the same area, in the same city. I mean, for all of us as well. To be buried in the same city should not be traveling long distances. And that is against the sunnah. And just on the topic of prophets, the Prophet ﷺ also mentioned that the earth has been made haram, the bodies and the, of, the, of the prophets has been made haram on the anbiya, meaning the earth cannot eat through the body. So when we go, when we put the body back into the ground, we are reminded that this is where it all ends. All of the pomp, the show, fun, enjoyment, the bank balances, the stocks, these, the, the immense intoxicating power that the tyrants and the rulers and the ministers and the presidents have, it all comes down to this final moment when everyone is laid into the ground. Uh, it's so amazing that once recently one of the, uh, you, you know, the, the, the UAE, uh, UAE governors of one of the um, states, he passed away, Khalifa. So it was, um, you know, there was a little picture of how, subhanAllah, where it started off with. It started off with the Burj Khalifa, which is the tallest building in the world, uh, one, well, almost a kilometer high. And where does that, where does the one who, 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 the tallest building upon whose name is of a, upon uh, uh, that building which is named after someone, what happens to that individual? He's not able to stay tall very long. He also has to come and then there was a picture of his tombstone, you know, right next to it, or just his grave, subhanAllah. So this is for all of us. All of us have to, have to realize that this is where we are headed. We're going to be going into the ground. Okay, but it's not, if, if that was the end of it, okay. It doesn't stop there. There's a beautiful saying, uh, if, we, if, if life was such that if we were, once we die, turikna, we will be left alone. Once you die, you suffer, you go through difficulty, but once you die, it's all over. Then death would be the source of comfort for every living person. Alhamdulillah, he died. He died peacefully. Done. You know how they say he peacefully died? It's over. He had a long life. He had a difficult life. He's done now. So people also think that I want to, you know, I'm, let me take my life. Life is becoming very difficult. Suicide is the way out. Take my life and I'm sick and tired of this world. If, if death was the end of everything, then yeah, then everyone who's going through difficulty should probably take their life. Right? It's over. Then at least you don't have to worry about things. So he said, if, life, if death really was the end of all, then yes, death would be the source of comfort for everyone. But that's not how it is. But instead the reality is once we die We will be raised up And we'll be asked about every single thing we have done And that we have not done So the worst is yet to come If someone says I'm having a challenging um, you know, life here Well don't think you know, by taking your life You're running away from that It's called jumping from the frying pan into the fire It's going to get much worse There is some hadith, very strong hadith on this Imam Qurtubi mentions in his book at Tafkira you know, regarding all the various punishments that have been promised for those who take their life. They're very, you know, horrific. Uh, one of them, for example, that I remember from that book, is that uh, a person who takes his life, whatever method he took his life, that he will be given a certain life back again in Alamul Barzakh, 
in this life between this dunya and akhirah and continuously this will be on re a replay continuously he will be taking his life again and again and again till the day of judgment if he stabbed himself if he drank poison if he shot himself what it is whatever it may be this is his punishment for doing so that this adab will be placed upon him that till the day of judgment this will continuously he will be doing this again and again so is a reminder that it's not over this body we're laying here we're walking away but guess what he's coming out from here again on the day of judgment people say who woke us up from our sleep what happened this was thousands of, we thought it's over the answer will be this is exactly what Allah had promised you and the prophets had spoken the truth the next ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ أَرَيْنَاهُ آيَاتِنَا كُلَّهَا وَلَقَدْ أَرَيْنَاهُ آيَاتِنَا كُلَّهَا فَكَذَّبَ وَأَبَى That indeed, uh, we have shown the, uh, the Pharaoh our miraculous signs. We have showed Fir'aun our miraculous signs, all of them. What signs? Signs from the Torah, signs from the uh, creation, you know, all around nature. We talked about the three signs you've heard before me speaking about this repeatedly. Ayat kauniya, ayat taqwiniya, ayat Qur'aniya. Signs in, in nature, signs in the, in the creation of nature, signs in the happenings and the events of the world, and signs in the text, in the Qur'an. Right? Their verses are an amazing uh, sign. Each verse of the Qur'an is an amazing sign itself. So Allah says, we showed them all our signs. But he chose to belie and resist fate. To belie it, and he didn't want to accept Islam. So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know what we call the iqamatul hujjah. Some people say if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything that's going to happen, and who's going to go to Jannah and Jahannam, then what's the point? There's many ways to answer this question. But one way is why, does, why do we even come into this world if it's already set who's going where? If, everyone know, if Allah already knows who's going to Jannah, who's going to Jahannam, what's the point of this world? And the one answer for that is, is so that on the day of judgment, the human being cannot complain what happened. Because he himself, all of us know, like today, how have you spent your day? You and I know how we spent our day. Was it good? Was it bad? Was it very good? Was it very bad? Very productive or not so? So we know how we spent our day. On the day of judgment, if Allah Azza wa is throwing someone into hellfire, he really can't say much. He knows exactly he messed up. Right? He can't say, oh, what is this? You're forcing me. No, here's your book of deeds. Here's everything you've done. What have you got to say about this? And what have you got to say about this? And this and day, such and such day, such and such night. You did this and this and this. What do you expect? So this entire life on earth is like a proof against us. We are basically, you know as they say, you're digging your own grave. So you, you and I are digging or building our palace in paradise or digging our pit in hellfire. Every single day we're doing it. We don't need to blame anyone else. We need to look at ourselves and say, how have I spent my day, my month, my year, my life? And so we like to sometimes blame people, blame environments, blame other things, instead of taking responsibility for what we have done. This is another very effective way of shaitan not allowing us to change. When he makes us keep on blaming our external aspects and not taking responsibility to say, this is who I am and this is horrible and I must change we say I'm like this because my wife made me like this I'm like this because my husband is like this I'm like this because my parents raised me like this I'm like this because my children do this to me I'm like this because of my job my stress this that 
These are excuses that are really not acceptable for the most part. The better way to approach this is to say, okay, I acknowledge I have these weaknesses and mistakes, and let me work on improving it. And let me ask Allah to help me change and overcome these difficulties in my life. That is the proper way, and Allah is watchful, watching our sincerity, and Allah will forgive us, inshaAllah, if He sees that we are genuinely sincere and want to become better people. But blame game is not good. So this entire life on earth is called iqamatul hujjah. It's to make the proof stand against someone. So that on the day of judgment, no one can say that I didn't know I'm destined to go to Jahannam. This is not fair. I didn't do anything to deserve it, etc., etc. So the believer, what does he do? He, when he sees something, the truth, he says, this is it. This is the truth. And unfortunately, a disbeliever, what is the sign of kufr? Is that when, even when the truth comes, you turn away, you turn your back to it, and you disbelieve. He said to um, Fir'aun said, Have you come to oust us, to kick us out from our earth, from our land rather, with your magic, O Musa? So this is a very interesting ayah. Musa salam and Fir'aun's story is so important to, for us to study. Because these are the same tactics batil and falsehood uses throughout the times, including today. Musa salam is coming with a... For who? Not for himself. He's already a prophet. He's Kalimullah. He's headed to paradise. He cares for the nation. He cares even for Fir'aun. He cares for Fir'aun. Allah cares for him. Not just Musa, rather we should say. Allah cared to establish the da'wah for Fir'aun. And Allah told Musa salam to go. And He also told him what? To speak softly. To speak kindly. Speak nicely and softly. Hopefully he will understand. So Musa, uh, what is the response of Fir'aun here? Is that he's blaming Musa. He's, he's pointing fingers at the intention of Musa. Falsehood will always try to find holes which are not even there in the intentions of the people of goodness. So instead of saying, you know what, this guy, is, this person is possibly very sincere. He genuinely cares for me. And that's why he's inviting me to the truth. Instead, what the falsehood will say, they'll peddle a whole propaganda. And they'll say, these people, they actually have a very bad intention. Which is, they want you to... They want to take over your land. They want to take over your kingdom. They want to take over your wealth and power. And are you going to allow that to happen? Of course not, right? So then you need to fight back. So they, they are very good at creating this false, represent, false representation of the intentions of the people of Haq. And to present it in, and, and, and with a, present it in a very negative way. So that a person who's listening to this doesn't seem to understand that the people of the truth are actually what? Well-wishers. They care for me as much as they care for their own children. They want guidance for me. They want, kind, they want khair and goodness for me. So he utilized the same tactic. Attack the intentions and make people afraid of the loss of their material things. Because people love their material things. People love their houses and their cars and their land and their money. And that's what's beloved to them. So if you tell them that this person is coming to take that and snatch that away from you, they're not going to like that. They'll fight back. If you say these people are coming to snatch away your kufr and shirk, no one's going to be intimidated by that. But if you say they're coming to snatch away your land, they're not going to like that. So that's what happens. You know this whole idea of... Okay, we'll, we'll come to that later on. So he said, he has come here to... Pull us out of our earth, out our, of our, our land. And you're going to lose everything you have. And Musa salam does not have true signs. He doesn't have the help of Allah. Astaghfirullah. He, they, he has, uses magic. Everything he has is all magic. 
So this is one, uh, another attempt to vilify and discredit Musa alayhi message by painting it as magic. He's responded by saying, most surely we will confront you with a sorcery like it. So, Fir'aun said, you're bringing magic and sorcery, we have enough of that. We also have sorcery. No, Musa never said it was sorcery. And it never really is, obviously, right? But Fir'aun, he intentionally misrepresented what Musa had. Right? As magic. And he told the people, that this is all magic and we are far superior to him in our, in our magic. We have experts, that's all they do. Because this was the height of sorcery and magic at that time. Like during the time of Rasulullah the Arabs were known to have excellent, what? Arabic skills and their, the rather Arabic was their passion. They were experts in it, they drank it and they dreamed it. So that's why the Quran came down as a, an amazing, powerful sword against their language. They say, we're gonna use your language to destroy you. We're gonna lose your language in such an amazing, outstanding, powerful manner, overwhelming manner, that you will not be able to rise up, you will not be able to raise up your head and say anything similar to it. Because you thought you knew Arabic. You thought you, your Arabic was very fine and well-written and well-developed and well-represented, etc. But the Quranic Arabic by far exceeds it in every sense of the word, right? It's just every word is just beyond our comprehension of how could this be human. And that's the whole point. It's not human. A human, human being cannot bring such amazing uh, you know, words put together. No one can be a better wordsmith than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every single thing has been beautifully placed. And the choice of words and the, and the choice of, of what word to use where, etc. The order of words, all of that, subhanAllah, this is part of what we call the i'jaz of the Qur'an. It's the Qur'an being a non-replicable. The Quran is not replicable. This is, this is a whole science, huge science. There's many, many books written on this. There's a whole different sections of it and different, what are you going to call, genres or different uh, subsections of this book, uh, this subject matter called I'jaz al-Quran, where we study how the Quran cannot be imitated by anyone. If it were to ever be imitated, it would have been imitated during the time of the Prophet And if they could, Allah says, you will never be able to bring anything similar to the Qur'an. Even if you assist one another, all of you put together, assist one another, you will never be able to bring anything similar to the Qur'an. Allah says, فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ مِثْلِي How about this? Why don't you just bring one surah, like any of the surahs of the Qur'an? Right? You can't. You cannot bring a verse, you cannot bring a surah, and you definitely can't bring the whole Qur'an. So he called it sihr, And he said, we will set up a an appointed time. Mu'id could be appointed place. Mu'id could be appointed time. You know, any of these. So it could be a place we're going to meet or a time we're going to meet. La nukhlifu, which you and I will make sure we won't miss. Meaning, let's have a set time and set place. We're not going to change it. And so we can announce it. We can advertise it. We can market it. And everyone knows this is where we're coming. Nahnu wa la anta. You and I, none of us will break this promise. Makan and suwa in a level place. Suwa means something that's either flat, open place where everyone can see what's happening. Large, like you say, so soccer, football fields, everyone can see what's happening. And suwa also mutawasat. A, such a place that is right in between your area and our area, between the Bani Israel and the Coptics. 
uh, the area where the Muslims are, were living, or the area where the non-Muslims living, just in the center of town, so that it is convenient for this debate or this, uh, you know, duel to happen. Musa said, Let your appointed time is a day of festival. What is that Yom Zina? It was a day when people would celebrate some, their, their, their uh, you know, a day of celebration like their Eid. Or it was a day in which it was like their marketplace day. Like you have a, 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 a you know, flea market day. So it was like some day of the week which was uh, of, of worship or a day of uh, you know, business, etc., where people enjoy wearing the best of clothes and they're in a festive mood, right? Carnival mood. So let's use Yomazina. And the time, specifically on that day, is morning time. You know, when people, uh, right around 9, 10, 11 a.m., you can say the sun is bright, the affairs are obvious, clean, clear, people have already taken care of good rest, good breakfast, whatnot. So their mind is fresh And they're not tired And the place is clear It's not, it's not too bright sun And not too, obviously not dark So we want everyone to be able to see the show Really nice and well So this is why they appointed such a place Fir'aun turned away Concocted his scheme Then he came forth So Fir'aun said Okay I gotta plan this thing out properly so he turned around and he said, okay, now I set the time with you. Now let me get into the mode of planning. So notice he, it's called Kaid. He came up with a scheme. What is Kaid? Kaid is like a plot that is, you know, done, that is, that is uh, uh, done in a hidden manner, that is done to create deception. So he went and figured out what is he going to do. What was it? He said, let me go and gather all the magicians from around the town. And let me promise them big gifts. They say, if you win, you will get great gifts uh, from me. He said to them, uh, you will become muqarrabun. You will, I, won't, I mean, how much money can I give you? Let me just tell you that if you win, you will be very close to me. And if you're close to me, you can have your hands in my pocket. Right? You have your hands into my treasure chest. You can take whatever you want. I'm guaranteeing you proximity and closeness. And, lo and, and my loyalty will be with you if you win Because he really needed them to win So what does Batil do? Batil, always remember that Because why? Batil loves, lives off of materialism Lives off of material things Lives off of money And the people who work for Batil They work only for money Got it? So that's why the way you win them over is through money Whoever pays the higher price Whoever outbids them, that's where they go because they have no greater purpose in life besides money. So that's how you have to win them over. And that's why we say in the dini work, money is there for the sake of fulfillment of your needs. But it doesn't, it is not something that actually for a, a believer may not be the most motivating thing. Just imagine the level of sacrifice that the Sahaba Allah did for Rasulullah and for the deen. Could be there, is there any highest paid? Soldier, any highest paid security guard in the world would defend their, uh, you know, their uh, VIP, their president, in a manner that Rasulullah Sahaba defended them. You have mothers coming and presenting their little newborns to Rasulullah. What am I supposed to do with this? This is a gift for you. What should I do with him? Utilize him. If anything, you can't do anything, then use him as a shield. Which, which, which mother would say something like that? Right? This is not a cult. This is actual, genuine love for Allah. 
That's what it is. You love Allah more than you love for yourself. And did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam accept that child? Of course not. But the point is, when you love Allah so much, when you love your Nabi so much, then everything else pales in comparison. I've given you the example of lights, headlights of a car. When the headlights come into the in front and the eyes of an animal, it freezes. You can't see anything. Right? You can't see right, left. Similarly, when a few mag lights or the uh, police lights are put into, into the eyes of a, of a person that they're investigating, and if you've been stopped by the police, probably you've seen this, all these lights are turned on from the side mirror of the, of the police uh, uh, car. And what does it do? You call it blinding, right? When the, if you were to actually look into, the, uh, into that light or they put that light in your eyes, you literally cannot see anything. You can't even see your own hand. You definitely cannot see who's holding the light. Subhanallah. When a person sees the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that becomes so blinding that he can't even see himself. All he sees is the nur. All he sees is the love of Allah. All he sees is, is, is the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't see anything above, to the right, to the left, you know, around him. This is, subhanAllah, you can say what happens to people who get a very high understanding, ma'rifah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they, can't, they, don't, they don't flinch in front of anything or anyone. Nothing can make them scared. Nothing can make them move. So he went ahead and he prepared his um, scheme to come forth. Musa yeah, I was saying yes I was just reminding I wanted to just remind you again of the fact that Fir'aun he, he, he uh, it's so amazing he won them over through money but when Iman came into the hearts of the people of these magicians then money meant nothing to them not only did money not mean anything to them the biggest threats of murder of killing them executing them of crucifying them very slowly cutting off one chopping off one hand then chopping off one leg very painful death it didn't phase them they said no problem not only are we gonna lose the money but we are gonna even lose our life and we're gonna go down with a very painful death because when the truth comes in you will be willing to stand up for the truth at all costs and money will become insignificant so this is the quality of Iman that people of Iman are not enticed by money when you see people being bought out in the history of Islam or now as well by money what do you see these are hypocrites money just becomes a means of exposing them which is in one way good you see who's a hypocrite whatever's gonna happen on the day of judgment they don't say they can't say oh why are you throwing me into the deepest part of hell indeed the hypocrites are gonna be in the deepest part of hell they won't be able to say that because the world whole world has seen in in front of their eyes their hypocrisy dress like Muslim, act like Muslim, speak like Muslim, uh, we have a Muslim name, etc. But the actions are 100% against Islam. 100% detrimental to Islam. Detrimental to the Ummah. Why? On the basis of alliances, on the basis of money. 
Who makes decisions that are absolutely horrendous and absolutely harmful to the deen of the Muslims and to the akhirah of the Muslims? Only someone who doesn't believe in the akhirah would do something like that. So what do you call that? You call that a kafir. But then they acted like Muslims. So then you call them munafiq. And munafiq are far worse than kafir. Munafiq are far worse than disbelievers. That's why they have been promised in the Quran a much deeper place in hellfire than the disbelievers. So what is the money? Money exposes who the hypocrites are. If you can be bought and sold, if a person can be bought and sold, then they're not a true believer. Because true believers can never be bought and sold. Remember that. True believers can never be bought and sold. Only a hypocrite is the one who can get bought and sold. SubhanAllah. May Allah save you and I from such hypocrisy. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save you and I from ever giving up on our ordeals and our, on, our, on, our, on our principles rather. I meant to say, to give up on our principles regardless of what the, what the, what the price is being offered. Just like the Sahaba were so strong, no matter how they were enticed. You probably heard the story, I'm sure, of the Mukhallafin al-Thalatha. The three Sahaba who stayed behind in Battle of Tabuk. And Allah Azza wa Jal then ordered a social boycott that lasted for 50 days. What happened? They didn't participate in Tabuk. We know this story, right? They didn't participate in Tabuk. Uh, they were planning to. They said, we're going to come tomorrow, the next day, the next day. And before you knew it, the army from Tabuk came back and they were still there. They were not hypocrites. They were not hypocrites. While well, the rest were hypocrites who didn't go. These people, these three Sahaba, were genuinely good Muslims, but ended up getting caught off with the love of family, love of trying to, um, you know, uh, harvest the crops, and different things happen. And before you know it, the armies come back and they didn't participate. So they felt really guilty about this. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show something. That, that, something ajeeb. That hypocrites in this world will be let, let loose, will be let go easy. Allah Azza wa will not necessarily always send down a bolt of lightning to strike the hypocrite and burn him to death. Not, it's not going to happen like that. The hypocrites, they will harm them, the ummah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may just give them, you know, uh, He may give them respite until as Allah Himself says in the Quran, wa umli lahum. Indeed, I'm giving them respite. Inna kaidi mateen. Allahu Akbar. Inna kaidi. Indeed, my planning and my plotting, mateen is very strong. Subhanallah. What an ayah. Wa umli lahum. Inna kaidi mateen. Indeed, I give them respite. Any disbeliever, any sinful person who is enjoying life, even though he's disobedient to Allah, should remember this verse. Just because you are enjoying life does not mean you actually have the love or the mercy of Allah at all. This is all part of the plan to let an individual, a disbeliever or a sinful person continue to progress in his sin. Because he sees there's no one stopping me. There's no one stopping me. When there is a uh, ambush or there is a, what do you call this? A, you know, a setup where, where a person is uh, try to, through a, you know, try to, you are trying to, uh, uh, catch a uh, drug dealer in the act and so what happens some of them will be you know informants will be placed there and there will someone who actually come a police officer himself will come and try to make the deal etc etc and the person like, oh wow I got a, such a big deal I haven't gotten for so long this guy's ready to offer me cash this many millions etc it's all set up and they will say we have to meet at such a spot and everything will be going on and on everything seems to be too good to be true because that's exactly what it is it's too good to be true 
It's all set up by the law enforcement. And exactly the moment when the drugs are transferred into this person's car and the money's transferred, that's when they all descend. So this setup is what Allah is speaking about. That just because you're able to keep on moving in life, although an individual is sinning, doesn't mean Allah, Allah kareem, Allah merciful, subhanAllah, can't complain, couldn't be enjoying more, better life than now. That money is just flowing in, contracts are just going through, everything is falling into place. If all of that is happening while the disobedience of Allah is happening, then this is not the rahmah and the mercy of Allah. This is the makr and the kaid of Allah. This is the plot of Allah to bring this person down. But if Allah strikes immediately, then what will happen? He won't be caught in the act. Or he will be caught only with a small sin. And Allah says, if you, if I'm, if you have disobeyed me and you're going to go down, it's going to be a big scene. You're not going to have just one or two charges. We'll wait till there are now a hundred charges against you. There are a hundred charges against you. That's when I will strike. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, as Rasulullah said, Inna Allah la yumli al-zalim. Indeed, Allah gives respite to an oppressor. Hatta idha akhadahu, but when he chooses to grab him, grasp him, to take him down, lam yuflitu, then he will not let him go. Once he grabs a person, he will not let him go. But if he, if he is letting you go, this is not a good sign, is what I'm trying to say. That's why I tell some youth, students, etc., who get caught doing something wrong. I said, you're lucky you got caught. In the, oh, Sheikh, this is the first time. I said, Allah loves you. That's why you got caught the first time. And the people who are not in the good books, guess what happens? They become 70 years old and they don't get caught. And the person who's lucky gets caught on the first time. Why? So that, alhamdulillah, this becomes a learning lesson and he never has to ever go back to the sin in his life. Think about it like that. Being caught by your parents doing something wrong, being caught by your teachers doing something wrong, is actually a blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That will stop a person from continuing down that path. Being caught by family members, whoever. And a person who is not caught by anyone, and is able to lead a double dual life for decades to come, that's not the mercy. If he, if he dies without repenting, that's a horrible thing. If he dies without repenting and he was not able to, he, was, he remained covered, he remained unexposed and he didn't even repent. One is you remain unexposed and you repent before you die. That's fine. That's okay. But if a person does, remains unexposed, no one knows about him, and yet he never thought once that I'm doing something wrong and never make tawbah, then we have a very serious issue here. Because all those years and decades and decades of sin will all be presented against him on the Day of Judgment. So we should not ask Allah to, to have us caught. But rather we should say, Allah, save us from ever even doing a sin that would bring us misery, that would bring us disgrace in this world or the next. But I want to also just share this, this perspective. As you may have, you've heard the story of a person, and subhanAllah, a person who was, if a person was, has a habit of, of doing something wrong, uh, I've seen sometimes elders, subhanAllah, doing something that is inappropriate or absolutely inappropriate. And I, and I tell, I give this example to the students. I said, listen, you're in madrasa right now, or you're young right now. This is the time to improve our spirituality, improve our akhlaq, and improve our, uh, you know, improve ourselves as a human. And if you don't do it, you'll become a grandfather and you'll be stuck with these social ills. And it's so sad. What are you going to tell a senior citizen? How do you even speak to them? Who's got the guts uh, to go tell them that these are the major flaws you have? And that this is how you've ruined people's lives and you've ruined your own life. And now you're about to die and you're still involved in this. Who's going to have the guts to do that? 
No one will say that. They'll just talk back about them, bad about them, and they will insult them. But the, their rectification will not be done. The place of rectification, the time of rectification, ideally, is when we are young, when people can speak. So that's why we should make this dua. Ya Allah, allow my all my faults to be taken care of. Allow me to have the foresight to be able to recognize my own weakness. Like you have these self-diagnostic systems that nowadays the new technology has in most of these appliances and, and computers, computers and whatnot. Self-diagnostic. So we also have to ask Allah to grant us the ability to have a self-diagnostic system that where we are able to recognize what mistakes and sins we are making. And secondly, we should ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the company of such mentors, such well-wishing, important what I said, well-wishing, sincere, well-wishing, sincere, knowledgeable mentors, teachers, and parents who will be able to see our mistakes and correct them. Because our teacher and our shaykh or our mentor, not seeing our mistake is as bad as going to a doctor's office where he orders a bunch of tests and you come out of the hospital without having your disease diagnosed. Without having your source of your disease being figured out. That's, are you going to pray for that? Ya Allah, allow all the scan not to catch the real sickness I have. Right? You're not going to say that. You say, Ya Allah, I wish I have no disease. But if, it's, if it is there, Ya Allah, give the basila. This, by the way, this is the dua you and I should make when you go see a doctor. Ya Allah, give my doctor this basira and this foresight that when I walk in, he should be able to quickly figure out what's wrong with me. One physician, mashallah, he was telling me, he said, I've made this dua, I actually made this dua in hajj. That Ya Allah, whenever a patient comes to me, that I should be the first to very quickly be able to figure out what the problem is. And he was telling me now, it's been 10 plus years, this dua has been accepted. And I'll be with a bunch of residents or a bunch of other fellow physicians. And Allah allows me to get to the bottom of something so quick that the rest of them will figure that out maybe hours later, minutes later, days later. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately tells me, that, you know, puts it in my heart that this is what it is, while others even disagree with that. But after a while, or after tests, they'll say, you know what, you're right. So this is an interesting thing for all of us to make such du'as. Whatever field you're in, make du'a to Allah azawajal that He gives you the ability to figure out that problem quickly and correctly. Whether you're an AC, you fix ACs, you, fix, you do a plumbing, or you're a doctor, or you're a lawyer. Whatever the case is, Ya Allah, give me the ability to figure out. So I was inspired by that dua that this brother shared with me. I said, I should be making the dua here in the haram similarly. That when a person walks in to me asking for help, that may Allah Azawajal grant me the ability to have that sixth sense to figure out exactly what this issue is of this individual and to be able to prescribe what is needed at that moment. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. So this is a dua that we should maybe make in for our own lives. When you go to a scholar or a sheikh, or you go to a doctor or someone else, you should be also be making this dua. Ya Allah, I messed up. I got a lot of problems. Physical problems, spiritual problems, whatever the problem may be. Allow this person that I am seeking advice from to be inspired to figure out what my situation is. And then to be divinely inspired to come up with the most appropriate prescription, solution, medicine, dua, dhikr for my situation. You should not be making dua, Ya Allah, I hope he doesn't see what's going on. Sometimes, you know, students will say, oh, this sheikh, this teacher in the madrasa, oh man, he has, you know, he sees things. We've got to stay away from him. Right? He sees things real quick. And say, no, that's a teacher you need to stay connected with. And well, mashallah, we are blessed to have such teachers in madrasa. I called home and she said this, or I called home and he said that, my dad said this, or this is the situation, the news I got from home, or news I got from some of my classmates. But mashallah, I would ex I expect this is what we call ilham, inspiration from Allah to such pious people, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just puts in the heart exactly what is the issue at hand, and what should be the advice that should be given. So this is subhanallah, some, a gift Allah gives to people. So Musa alayhi salatu wasalam now responds to such people. And he says, وَيْلَكُمْ 
You are trying to buy out the magicians with money and mislead them and mislead the people through this big drama. Woe to you. Do not forge a lie against Allah. Don't lie against Allah Azza wa Jal. Don't say what He hasn't said. Don't claim that He has, he, he has partners. Don't claim that He's going to send you all to paradise if, even though you do kufr. Don't lie against Allah. Otherwise, what will happen? Otherwise, He will raise you with some torment. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will completely destroy you with an adab. So this is for anyone. Anyone who ascribes falsely accuses Allah. I was saying, eventually it will happen. In the dunya, it may not happen immediately. Like the munafiq may not be punished immediately. The kafir may not be punished immediately. But at the time of death, definitely the punishment will begin. And what waits for them in the akhirah is obviously much worse. Al-Muftari la abada. The one who lies against Allah eventually will never succeed. Thus, whoever forges such lies against him has forever failed. Then the sorcerers quarreled between themselves about their affair. They started wondering what should they do? How should they? What is the game plan? They had a huddle, pre-game huddle. What should we do? How do we figure out how to handle Musa salam? What should be the game plan of attacking him? And they kept their counsel secret. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they made sure that their plots and plans were not known to anyone. They communicated amongst themselves quietly because you don't want Musa and you don't want the enemy on their part to figure out what's happening. So they spoke about it softly. And then they said, this is the way we are going to present the case. Because you know why? It's a big, it's all about optics. You have to win, win public opinion. Right? The war is won by, first, by the public opinion. If the people of your country say you won the war, even if you didn't, they don't have to worry about it. So, when you, what happens with presidents and prime ministers? When do they start changing gears? Not when they start losing the battle. They don't care, unfortunately, unfortunately, how much money is lost, how many youth, young people are lost. Who cares? It's about what is the public image and the opinion. Because that's where they're gonna decide whether I'm gonna remain on this chair for any longer or not. So they care. It's sad, but this is the reality. Look at what happened in the Bosnian genocide. Right? Read the history about that. Where did involvement and in external forces come in? You know, it's really, see that it's all about, subhanAllah, every time there's intervention, unfortunately, in almost all cases, it's based on your own uh, your own personal needs or rather desires of trying to hold on to your seat. That's, that's how the dunya is. I wish there were more sincere people in the dunya, but it's really hard. It's not about one country. It's all countries, you'll see, are about not caring about others, but about their own what we call self-interest. And it's not the country's self-interest. Whose interest is it? It's the ruler's self-interest. It is the person in power, his self-interest. Will I be able to remain in power if I lose this battle, lose this war? Well, if, if, I, if, if not, then I gotta back out of this war. Or I, gotta, I have to uh, change tactics. So they said, we have to win this war and I have to, we have to win the public opinion. So they said, this is the method we're gonna do so. Indeed, these are most surely two sorcerers who desire to oust you from your own land with their sorcery and to do away with the ideal of your way of life. 
Meaning, this is how we're gonna frame all of this. This is how we're gonna frame the whole thing. That you all are good people. You know, these people are out to destroy you. These people are out to destroy you and ruin your life. Guys, we need your support. We need your vote. We need your prayers. We need your taxes. Because they're not after me, they're after you. They're not after me, they're after you. This is how Fir'aun presents this. See how interesting this is? This is the same trick in the book that they use today. What is the word? Look at this. They want to make you to lose your land. And they want to do away with your amazing, ideal, sublime, sublime way of life. Oh, Bani, oh Coptics, oh the people of Fir'aun, oh my people, you have a very high standard of living. And you have a very refined way of life. And you have an excellent lifestyle that is far superior in every sense, culturally, materialistically, you know, in other ways than the life of this Musa and his people. And you have a lot more freedom than they do. You have a lot more options than they do. You have a lot more, you know, uh, interesting and enjoyable way to lead your life than these people. So your lifestyle, the current lifestyle you have, by far is the best, most supreme lifestyle that any human being can have. And these people, they don't like that. They're jealous of your lifestyle. So they're coming here to take away your lifestyle. Oh, is that what it is? SubhanAllah, you're really, I've got the best. I have the best? Well, you don't have the best, by the way. I'm sorry, you don't. Kufr, how can kufr be the best? Kufr is SubhanAllah, the worst. When you, have the, when you don't have iman, you're not gonna have akhlaq, you don't have adab, you don't have a vision, you don't have a mission in life. You don't care, the young don't care about the old, the old don't care about the young. Right? Brothers and sisters don't care about each other. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's all about more money, more money, at all costs. No one cares about anything besides that. How can you call that refined life? How can you call that a good life? When all our decisions are based on our own nafsi, nafs and our ego. And how can kufr be good when even morals and ethics and values are all become subjective? What is morally right and wrong is thrown up in the air. You can say whatever you want. There's no such thing as this absolutely wrong or haram. Nothing is absolutely wrong. Nothing is absolutely haram. Everything is based on subjective to your, not even to your situation, to your desires. Whatever you desire, you say it should be like this, I think it should be like this, then so, go ahead. Be yourself. You're free to live your life as you want. So criteria of truth and falsehood is what? Your personal desire. While a God-given, God-sent religion, the criteria of what's right and wrong is wahi. So obviously wahi is gonna be innumerably more superior than a million individual desires. Because definitely the truth is never gonna be objective if you're saying it's based on what you think is right. And if you have a million people, there are a million people who think in a million ways. So then you're not, it's gonna be a mess. Everyone's gonna have their own subjective truth. There's gonna be a million truths. That's a pretty confusing life. That's a very messed up life. That you're saying, you know, everything works, everything's fine, come on. There's gotta be one way to get stuff done. And that's haq, that's the truth. And that truth cannot be based on people's desires because we're all different. It has to be based on revelation, which is one. And only one, and which comes down for everyone. Regardless of your color, skin color, ethnicity, background, wealth, background. That wahi and revelation is one and the same for everyone. There's such calmness in knowing that you have wahi. There's such relaxation, there's such comfort in knowing that, alhamdulillah, 
of who's right and who's wrong is not going to be decided by you and I. Who's right and who's wrong is going to be decided by Allah and is going to be on the day of judgment and in this world through His revelation. Look when you when siblings fight or or, or partners fight, they go to this, they go to their one up, one higher up. They go to a parent, an older one. They say, "You decide." What happened? What is that about? Because we're two sisters or two brothers or two um, partners and we are equal in that sense. And he says something, I said something. He's saying something based on his desires or his idea. I'm saying something on my desires and my idea. So now the truth is not, we're not, we're not able to live with one another. Why? Because it has become subjective. You're saying it my way, I'm saying my way, it's not gonna work. The truth forward has gotta be only one way. And we are not agreeing to one way. So we must now go to court. We must now go to our older brother, a mother, father, teacher. But in all these cases, what is happening? You're still going to another human being. Who is, yes, he may be older than you, he may be more educated than you, he may be more experienced than you, but at the end of the day, he's still a human being who is, conf- who is bound by human weaknesses, who is bound by human challenges. So no matter how of an experienced judge he may be, but still at the end of the day, he's a human. And you cannot expect perfection from humans. You cannot expect uh, perfection from humans, especially when they're not using revelation. It's gonna be definitely flawed. So similarly, not all issues, morality, especially since that's the biggest attack is on morality today. It cannot be an objective life. Uh, it cannot be subjective. It has to be objective. So anyone who says we live a very sublime, pure life, in which we follow our desires and do whatever we want, they're lying. And the second big lie is that anyone who follows revelation is out to take away from us our nice life and enjoy this nice life themselves. There could be nothing further than the truth than this. And I hope you understand what I'm speaking about. Because this is exactly, you know, the, 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 the dirty trick from the playbook that is being played today. What anyone who speaks the truth Anyone who wants to invite you towards a nice, righteous, pious, good, God-fearing life in which mom and dad, husband and wife, parents and children live in harmony, live in, in, in kindness, live nicely with your neighbors, live nicely with, with animals and plants. What is this called? This is called, you hate our freedom. What is that supposed to mean? Who wants to be a slave to anyone? We all love freedom. No one wants to be. Yes, if you, the big, we actually hate your slavery of yourself. And we want you to become free like us. Where we are not a slave to our nafs, not a slave to customs, and not a slave to fellow human beings. And this is exactly what the Sahabi uh, mentioned in when he, uh, the Rabbi ibn Amr radiallahu anhu story when he came face to face with the Persian emperor. And he said, why are you here? And he said, what, what, what do you need? How can I help you? He said, well, you can't help me. I haven't come to you. He came to his court. He came on his donkey. And they said, get off the donkey, walk. He said, no, I don't need to walk. I'm not going to walk. I've come with a letter from the Amir al-Mu'mineen to the king, to the general here. He said, get off. He said, no, I'm not going to. He, told, he said, give it to us, we'll deliver. He said, no. He told me to deliver it to him. I'm not going to allow it to be delivered to anyone else besides him directly. He's sitting on his throne got velvet cushions all over. He's got all his viziers and army soldiers standing upright, ready to prostrate for him. And this Rabbi ibn Amr comes dragging through, you know, the, 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 the velvet flooring and right up to uh, the, the, uh, the, the king. The, uh, and, and he tells him, the general, Rustum, 
And he tells him, okay, what was the mask? How can I help you? You guys are poor, beggars, small number of Muslims. What do you all need? You, wanna, you want to sign a truce? Are you scared? And he responds to them, but he responds to the, him saying, I didn't come to you. We haven't come to you wanting anything. We haven't come to you as beggars. Instead, in Allah Indeed, Allah sent us to you. I would have never come here if my Amir didn't send me. And the only reason my Amir sent me to you is because my, our Prophet taught him to do that. And the only reason our Prophet taught us to do that is because Allah ordered him to do that. So that's what he said. Allah sent us to you. In Allah Okay, why Allah sent you? Okay, for what? To take humanity out from the slavery of other humans. He's saying this as all of his slaves are standing there. Because the soldiers would what? The wazirs would make sujood to the, to the general and to the king. To the Persian emperor. To the Kisra. And so he says, I have come out. We have been sent to take humanity out of the slavery of humans. There you go, right there. So actually, we are the ones who live the most free life. As the ones who live as Ibadullah are the ones who are enjoying true freedom. May Allah give you an idea, understanding of, of this statement. That we are the most what? Free people. We don't have shackles in our life. Wallahi al-Azim, this is something so deep that today Muslims are the ones who don't understand this statement. How do you expect others to understand? What do we understand? Islam is about difficulties. Islam is about challenges. Islam is about this is haram. You can't do this. can't do that. So many rules, 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 rules. Man, this is crazy. I don't want to follow the deen. In reality, Islam is giving you freedom from following all the other customs. You think social media is not slavery? I was traveling overseas. And this is where it, it, it completely yani, solidifies the point that social media and the internet has taken over the whole world. And this is exactly how Dajjal is going to rule the world. Through these type of latest forms of technology. There was an old bus. An old bus that didn't have AC, nothing. That, was tra- that, that stopped at the rest stop where I stopped. And definitely, yani, no AC, no lights, nothing. Only people who didn't have any means would go on board on a bus and travel like that in such heat. The people are getting off to you know, use a rest, a rest area. And as I'm sitting there, I see two girls, maybe 12, 13-year-old girls walk down, come out. And you know, this is not a high fancy restaurant. This is a very cheap place on the side of the road. We stopped to pray Maghrib, grab something to eat. And so this bus stops there, and these people come down. And I'm surprised to see that she pulls out a smartphone. And the first thing she does is she takes a picture of this junky old rest stop. It's nothing to be excited. You're not looking at the Sears Tower. You know what I mean? You're looking at a place that why would you even take, I have no idea why would you take a picture from. As an outsider, like, oh wow, I've been to such a junky place, maybe. But you're a local person, this is just your local life. This is not something so exciting. But what did she do? She take a picture. And then she started posting. I could see. She started just, you know, using her fingers to post on all these different social media platforms. Right behind her, another girl, similar age, maybe her sister, pulls out her phone and does the exact same thing. And I'm watching this, I said, there you go, khalas. This is how, what do you mean? The world has become robots. Whether you are a, an MIT student or you are a villager in India, everyone is become robotically being controlled by social media, by smartphone, by the internet to think in the exact same manner. That's how, whether you are, this is exactly how our youth act. This is how our so-called developed country youth act. And that's how the, un, you know, the third world underdeveloped countries, so the same thing. It's shocking to see that there's no difference today. What's happening here, what's happening elsewhere. So the idea, this is slavery. 
This is slavery. You're doing, okay, uh, but why did you just do that? Go look at a restaurant, even in overseas. As soon as you sit down, everyone has to pick up, take pictures. And then everyone has to clock in. And what they say, check in. And everyone has to take a selfie. And all this bakwas never happened before. All this stuff is happening now. And it's, it's all like, you know, tr- everyone is th- taught to think in the same manner. They've been planned, they've been, you know, uh, conditioned to think in the same manner. And what is this? This is what I'm talking about. Slavery to the times. Slavery to status online. Slavery to social media. And it's not, this is just one part of slavery. There's so many other forms of slavery out there. So he said, we've come here to take people out from the slavery of fellow human beings. Okay, so why do youth today want to dress in a certain clothing, certain jersey, certain shorts, certain shoes, certain bands, right? Everything. What's it all about? Oh, my, that so, so-and-so wore that. So-and-so has such and such haircut. Right? When on a choksi side, you'd say even people want to spit like the, you know, they, uh, like the cricket player. They want to, they, you know, whatever cricket players they, they love. So they wear their hat like that. They wear that. They, 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 they hold the bat, of course, like that. But then they're going to spit on the ground like that. Every single thing they want to emulate. They want to have the walk of their favorite cricket player, basketball player, ba- baseball player. So this youth today, you see, they're so infatuated, Muslim and non-Muslim, by artists, by musicians. Of course, who has the highest following on social media? No, no president or prime minister can even come close to the following of artists, of musicians. The Dajjals, the small Dajjals of this world, who actually run the show. Your son and daughter, or the sons and the daughters of the Ummah, don't listen to their imam, don't listen to their parents, don't listen to their grandparents, don't listen to anyone. Who do they listen to? Who do they follow? Who are they impressed by? They are these artists. Continuously listening to their filthy songs day in and day out. And those songs are making them think in exactly the way these guys want them to think. So they, you know, it's basically, you lose your child while they're still in your home, while they're still wearing the clothes that you pay for, eating the food that you pay for, and living in the same house in the same room as you are, but we have actually lost them. It's weird, isn't it? When you lose a child, before you know you lost your child, because you bury him in the ground. But today you lose your child without even knowing you lost your child. And the money is still being spent. It's crazy. You're still spending all the money on college tuition. Hundreds of thousands of dollars when he doesn't even belong to you anymore. He belongs to the musicians, the devils. He belongs to everyone else out there. This is the way these things work. So this is same old trick from the a playbook that these guys use. That they hate the freedoms. And they're after you. Instead of simply saying, no, why don't you entertain what they've got to say? Just listen. Give them a chance to listen to what type of beautiful lifestyle that they're inviting towards. It is a lifestyle of actual freedom. So let me finish up the story of Rabbi ibn Amr. He said, three things we came for. We've come to take you all out from the slavery of mankind to the slavery of the Lord of all mankind. And to take you out from the constricted lifestyle of this world to the vastness of this world. We're not talking about an interesting thing. Not the vastness of the hereafter. That's there. We're talking about even in this world, a believer will have a much more comfortable life. Seriously. The vastness, you all leaving a very... What is your constricted life? If you don't make money, you're a loser. That's what they say. That's what everyone believes. And Muslims today fall, fall into the same trap. If you don't get to land yourself in a high-paying job, you're a loser. If you don't get to America, you're a loser. If you don't have a huge suburban home, you're a loser. That's what it is. That's the mentality. So based on that, everyone, 99% of the ummah is a loser. The top 1% wins and all of us, we suffer and lose. 
That's a very cheap, constricted, difficult way of leading a life where majority of people who are not going to win the lottery are going to be losers and the few enjoy success. Instead, the deen says, no matter who you are, how rich or poor, how healthy or sick, how honorable or not unknown in society you are, your value is based on your sifat and your individual qualities. If you have those individual qualities, then Allah loves you and will honor you both in this world and the next, no matter who says what. No matter if no one knows you, you will be the most known definitely on the Day of Judgment. You don't need to die for people's attention. You need to only die for Allah's attention. For me and you, I think you understand that this is a very amazing worldview. That I don't need to have insane amounts of money and insane amounts of education to be successful because I'm not that smart maybe or I'm not that ambitious to go do that or I don't have the context that you have. Why are you keeping only one way, criteria that wealth, wealth, wealth and name and name is a, is a criteria of success because based on that, very few people are successful. When you talk about successful businessman, successful artist, famous person, who cares? Your success is in your court, not in the hands of some, some big dude, big shot. No. Your success lies in your lap. You stand up and become a good person and have great qualities, there you go, success is yours. What a nice way. Because then we can, the pie is large enough for all of us to have a big piece. We all can be successful. So this could be one of the understandings of dunya being vast. That Rabbi Ibn Amr is saying, we have come to take you out from the dark, uh, from the narrowness, narrow-mindedness, the closed-mindedness approach that you all have to the vast. Isn't that amazing? We're, we're labeled as narrow-minded, closed-minded. But, but in reality, if you think of the, how I'm expressing it, this is awesome. Everyone's get a chance. Everyone gets successful. Wallahi subhanAllah, speaking of non-Muslims, you realize Yani how many of them are yani, innocent? They just need to hear our version because they've never heard our version of life, our viewpoint, you know, our world view. It's so amazing. Alhamdulillah, All praise belongs to Allah who guided us to Islam. And if it wasn't for Allah, we would have never been guided to this path. Wallahi, this is the best gift you and I can ever have is to have the world view that Islam gives us. No matter what situation, in the bleakest moments of your life, you only have the silver lining to see. In the bleakest moments of your life, there's so much to be hopeful for. Which others who don't have this worldview, unfortunately, they cannot be hopeful. It is only mayusi and, and giving up and caving in and so forth. And that's why they resort to, uh, you know, suicide. Many times and other things, drugs and this and that. Basically, why do Muslims or you, Muslims used to have a very low suicide rate, drug rate, it's because their iman was strong. And the iman would tell them that no matter what the situation is, Allah is watching you and you're gonna get ajr for this. And, you're gonna get, and your sabr is gonna be the biggest ticket to Jannah. So stop using intoxicants, drugs, alcohol, and stop thinking about taking your life. Because in this difficulty lies your paradise. When that iman of the Muslims were strong, they were not involving indulging all this haram. Remember that. And the weaker the iman of a believer becomes, the more quickly he will resort to these intoxicants and these horrible ways to end their life because he thinks, what's the point? Because he really doesn't have a worldview that tells him that even in this difficult situation, you are beloved to Allah. And that in this difficult situation, you're closer to Allah than those who you see are having an easy time. That's the beauty of all this. So, Allah Azza then says, He said, therefore, uh, Fir'aun said to them, 
come together to accomplish your scheme. ثُمَّ أَتُصَفَى Then come forth resolved in a united rank. وَقَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْيَوْمَ مَنِ اسْتَعْلَى For whoever prevails today has truly succeeded. So he said basically, today is the يَوْمُ الْفُرْقَانِ Today is the day that if you win, we're gonna win forever. Whoever has the upper hand will change the course of history. And actually that part of history, that part of Fir'aun was right. That statement of Fir'aun was right. Because Musa السلام, won it, and mashaAllah, that became the end of Fir'aun, and everything changed after that. Right? So he said, Come together. They said, Oh Musa, okay, we're gonna give you an option. Either you throw your staff to the ground first, or we shall be the first to throw. So that was nice of them. You know, they didn't know what they were gonna face again. So they said, that, that, Should we, we don't know what's, what to do. Well, should we ask him to go first or we should go first? They decided, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give him an option. It's one versus, you know, 70 or 100. Come on, let's at least give him something to, to have hope for. Yeah, right? Give him a little bit. They, they give you an option to go first. Qala bil Musa said, Rather you throw. Right? Rather you throw. You go first. Why did he say that? Haq doesn't flinch, I told you. When you know you're on the truth, you're not scared. When you know you're on the truth, you're not scared. No matter what the odds are. My beloved friends, we just have to ensure that we are moving with the truth. Wherever the truth goes, we run with it. As long as you're attached to the truth, which is like a rope, then you can close your eyes and go to sleep. Because you know the truth will always succeed. And when I say succeed, it may not always apparently seem to succeed in this world. But most definitely it will succeed. And of course, the success, the, success, the success will become very apparent as soon as the soul departs the body. So he said, go ahead. I don't, I'm not phased by you all. Go, do your, go, go throw what you got. All of a sudden, behold. Either it's called for mufaja'ah. Very quickly, very suddenly it happened. Hibal means the ropes. Risi means the staffs. This is what they used. Ropes and sticks to do their magic. He threw it. Yukhayyalu, yukhayyalu means made to appear. Appear to him, min sihrim, due to their sorcery, anna tasa'at to be slithering. How did this happen? This could have been like what we call, you know, hypnosis. This is called uh, tricked, being, you know, very quick how they do a magic show. There's no real magic there, right? With a rabbit coming out of a hat and all those other things, birds coming out. What is that? It is optics. It's a way you you play with your hands in a very quick manner and, and, and use, utilize various means to deceive people for them not to see what you're doing. The magic tricks that you have today. Yeah, some of them are amazing. They seem to be extreme like, whoa, how did you do that? But there's always a secret behind it. So he had, these guys had a secret too. Some said they had mercury. They took mercury, the element, and put it inside the uh, staff or the ropes. Made the rope, they made the staff hollow and put it inside there. And then they colored it like the colors of a snake. And after that, they heated it and they brought it and then the ground was a very scorching hot ground and when the staffs were thrown on the ground this mercury started flowing and it had its own multicolored thing so it seemed to made to appear that it was actually the snake or the staff that was moving Allahu Alam, whatever it was the idea is that they used their means to uh, to trick the people Musa conceived a fear within himself now, Ojasa this is an interesting word, is that Ojasa means when the fear is such that you only feel it inside. 
there, when a person, for example, feels, feels fear, and the fear is seen outside, and is known outside, then that's different. That is, the word awjasa is not used for that. Other words are used when the fear becomes apparent on the face. You know, you start trembling, you start sweating, your mouth becomes dry. Awjasa is when the fear is simply inside you. And Allah says, fi nafsi in himself. Musa felt it. Khifatan masdar. Root word that is nakira. Doesn't have aliflam on it. It's used for many things, but here you'd say, litasgir. To use to, to belittle how much fear he had. The fear was very little. What was the fear of? Now, most of the time, we think that the fear was of the snake, which I don't see a problem with that. But nonetheless, I'm gonna give you an alternative tafsir as well. That the fear was that, oh my God, this is a pretty powerful trick. It's a trick, but it's a powerful trick. I hope the Bani Israel who are watching and the Coptics are watching are not gonna be swayed by this. And then they will not wait around to see my miracle. And they'll say, game over, these guys are too good. Or, you know, they will not even have a chance to even, to look at my mu'ajizah. Uh, and they will be so impressed by what they did that they will just automatically say, you guys are on haq. So the fear was, are people gonna really get so impressed that they're not going to listen to what I've got to say? On what's the other more commonly coded explanation? Is he, they felt that he felt the fear of what's like, you know, of these snakes. What's going on over here? And Yani, are these gonna come towards me or what's going on? Like the fear that we talked about this extensively, it's a natural fear. Uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to throw his own staff and it became a snake, Allah was, Allah was training him with all of what type of gadgets he was giving him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, don't fear. Indeed, it is you who shall be the uppermost. We'll, we'll stop at this ayah. That don't, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, don't be afraid. These people are not running away. They're going to stay here. And they're going to look at your miracle. And they are going to believe. The sihar at the end is batil. Batil does not have the capacity to overcome the truth. Completely where no one will be able to see the truth. Yes, batil will try its best to suffocate. Try to squeeze the haq. But the haq will eventually come up. So I'm telling you, don't be afraid. It is you who shall be the uppermost. This is not just only for Musa alayhi salam. This is for anyone who follows the truth. Allah says, Indeed, the believers will always be on top. You always will be on top if you are the believers. So this is a beautiful reminder for you and I that our allegiance has to be with the truth no matter how few the people in the truth may be. No, we, we don't follow the game of the, you know, numbers game. Don't follow the numbers game. Don't look at what the rest of the people are doing. Instead, look at what's right. And inshallah, if we are committed with what's right, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant us success. Here we have inshallah, if anyone has any questions, uh, you can insert, uh, go to slido.com. 2514950 is today's quote. 251-4950 or you can scan the QR code we'll take a few questions inshallah and then we will uh, uh, have a short dhikr session and dua yes oh yes I didn't mention that thank you for reminding that uh, Rabbi Ibn Amr said 
to take you out of the slavery of man to the slavery of Allah. Number two, to take you out of the narrowness of this world to the vastness of this world. And the third was min jawl al-adiyani ila adl al-islam. To take you away from the oppression of all isms to the justice of the deen of Allah. To take you out of all the oppressions. Every ism, every way of life, there's, there's genuine, if you look at it, there's always going to be zulm there. Zulm. Because it's man-made, what do you expect? And Islam being not, if it was man-made too, it would be the same. The difference is, ism, yani Islam is all different from all other isms and from all other ways of life because it's not man-made. It is God-driven and, and guided and inspired. Hence, uh, he said, to take you out from the injustice of all religions to the justice of Islam. Is every difficulty or calamity which comes in our life a consequence of a sin we committed? No. Just look at the life of Rasulullah. Start if we leave the seed of Rasulullah, it was the most challenging life. He himself said that. I went through more challenges than anyone else for the sake of Allah. So every difficulty is not. What instead you you can know what where this difficulty is doing to you to see how your reaction is. If the reaction is closer to Allah, then you know that difficulty was actually a blessing in disguise. How can you tell if you're being too picky when finding a spouse? What things should we weigh in? Mashallah. I don't know how that connected to this topic, but someone, someone really needs to get married, huh? No. So, uh, the, the idea is, yani, you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance. Look at what hadith says. Again, don't, don't follow your nafs. The, the deen says, talking to the girl's side and talking to the guy's side, both the same thing. Choose the deen as your number one thing. Nabi Sallallahu said, then bring in wealth, then bring in beauty, then bring in lineage. All the, and, and Nabi Sallallahu for the man, uh, for the wife looking for a husband, she, he said two things. Yani look for deen and look for akhlaq. If you like the deen and the akhlaq, khalas, get him married to your daughter, your sister, whatever. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't, shouldn't have a job. But the idea is these are the two main things. Because if he has a job also and tons of money, but he has no deen and no character, it's going to be hell for him. Right? That's the key thing. How do a person get closer to Allah? You get closer to Allah through, number one, through having good friends, good company, connecting to the masjid, staying in good gatherings, uh, making a habit of reciting Quran daily, doing dhikr daily, giving sadaqah daily, reading the books of, that mentions the stories of the sahaba and the stories of the pious people. Reading that will be very, uh, you know, um, inspiring for you. How do you check the deen of your future spouse? That's, that's a good thing. We should probably create a gadget for that. But once we'll create a gadget for that once we can check our own. Right? The idea is, look at, you can only judge a person based on the zahir. So you want to see, based on, you figure out what level of deen they are, their attendant. I don't know who's asking. You're asking for a, a husband or a wife. So I would answer that based on, on that, what you're asking. But you, you see, zahiran, externally, to what degree does this, practice, this person practice Islam? Look for sunnah. That's the answer, right? The more sunnah they have in their life, that's the sign of piety. The more sunnah. What is a sunnah way of leading your life? Is that found in them or not? May Allah create the sunnah life in me and you and all of us. And that's the criteria of piety. How does one practice gratitude for the blessing one has? How does, the, how does one get over the fear that certain blessings are a test and can be taken away at any time? 
Actually, blessings are all a test to see whether you're grateful or not. And they all can be taken away anytime. And that's why Rasulullah said, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from your ni'mah being zawal, from it coming to, from coming to an end. I seek refuge in you from your blessings coming to an end. From well-being to be moved away from me. Well-being, comfortable life. From a sudden punishment. And any and all forms of your anger. When we are waiting for an important decision to be made, how do we ask Allah for it to go our way? You don't ask for Allah to go to your way. You say, Ya Allah, make what is good for me happen. Allahumma ahsin aqibatana fil umuri kulliha. Oh Allah, make the ending in all my affairs to be good. Let it, I want something. I don't know if this is good. That's why the dua al istikhara is necessary. Because dua al istikhara says, Ya Allah, if there's good in this, then make it happen. And make me desire it too. And if this is not good, then don't make it happen and have me not desire it. And instead, take me to desire something which is actually going to be good for me. How do you make sure your salah is for the sake of Allah and how do you avoid hypocrisy? Is by renewing your niyyah again and again. As you stand up, say, Ya Allah, inni wajahtu wajayal ladhi fatara as-samawati wa l-arda hanifa wa ma'ana min al-mushrikeen. You say it in your own language, or you say it in your heart, Ya Allah, I'm praying only for you. And every time you can, in every posture, remind yourself, I'm in the presence of Allah and only praying for Him. Some characters... Um, If parents disapprove of a decision you feel strongly for a sign, is that a sign that Allah disapproves it as well? Or should you follow your heart? It depends what that is. We should definitely involve and include our parents in our decisions. And depending on again who you are, how old you are, where you are in life, and what that issue is. Can't give a blanket statement here. But we should try our best to convince them if, or try to explain to them your viewpoint. And at the end, we should try our best to, of course, Obey them to the best of our ability. Unless they are openly asking us to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then not in that case. Besides that, we should try our best to obey them and listen to them. And if they're not understanding, then explain your own position. Have someone else explain it to them. I have a friend who's Muslim. She doesn't practice the deen. We don't see each other besides school and we break now. How do I approach her and teach her? The best way you approach them is you have casual conversations with them and invite them to some social gathering or you're at your home or wherever, you know. And after that, then you slowly just happen to stop by the masjid. And it just happens to be Tuesday night. Right? And then you just happen to enjoy some tea and snacks and whatever is on the menu tonight. So there you go. You just learn, figure out how you, how you connect them to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and gatherings like this. And you start off with something easier. Like, like I said, a social gathering. Right? Allah, accept all of you who asked. So we were able to answer a few, inshallah, we'll continue to. Answer as in the following weeks as well. Today, Alhamdulillah, we concluded the Dean Intensive. MashaAllah, we had students from MashaAllah across the country who attended, maybe 80, 90 or so. And what's amazing was I was so, so uh, inspired by the fact that we had a 75 year old sister, SubhanAllah, a researcher and a scientist. Who came and stayed? Who came from across some other part of the country and stayed at the hotel here and attended all the classes? When I heard about that yesterday, although I was traveling myself, I was so inspired. I said, Subhanallah, this is the beautiful Deen of Allah. May Allah increase her in her raqba, in her izzah, and grant her barakah. And all the students who came, 
Alhamdulillah, may many students are here as well. May Allah accept your sacrifices. And inshallah, the Arabic essentials will be beginning on, on Monday. And this program is offered online as well. So all of you out of state who are listening to this talk, or out of area, remember the Arabic Essentials three-week Arabic intensive program is offered for brothers online, virtually, and on-site for both brothers and sisters. So please benefit from this three-week program. And three weeks after that, inshallah, on August 15th, our one-year program will begin. Details, inshallah, will be sharing in the next, you know, other talks as well. لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا إله إلا الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله على محمد 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 صلى الله عليه وسلم استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم واتوب اليه